welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and special guest star Brian. Episode number 260, recorded March 3rd, 2018. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's been a long time, boys. Yeah, good to have you. Yes, it has been a while. Yeah, uh, but it's good. It, it's um, I've missed both uh, being here, and i got to be honest with you, i got to catch up on what you guys have been doing. Life has sort of swept me in different directions, but I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I know. Well, once we knew that you weren't listening to them every week, we, uh, as a courtesy to you, have delayed posting stuff, so uh, you're not that far <laughs> by. Yeah, it's not, it's not like we've been lazy or something, or, no. you know, busy with other things. It's just we've been well, waiting for you. You are too kind, and uh, I, I now will uh, make the effort to uh, still be the Star Trek comic book review number one fan and frequent guest star. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we've been kind of slow in production, but we're going to try to ramp things back up. Right. Yeah, get, get on that, would you? Yeah, life keeps getting in the way. I know. <laughs> it's nasty. Hey, you know, it's, but, a big, it's a big charge. Every Star Trek comic book ever published. Tell me about it. Again. it. Yeah. Well, we're almost done. Except that they're coming out like faster than, than you could possibly do the shows. They just keep coming out. True. And today we're covering an, a newer issue, which is uh, Star Trek Discovery. So, uh, and I heard that this is not even the fr- this is not going to be the only Star Trek Discovery series. There's actually going to be another one after this. Uh, so this one focuses more on the Klingons, and then the next one will focus more on the Federation of that same timeline, the, the pre-Discovery timeline. So, right. Cool. The the other miniseries coming up is also a prequel. Yeah, uh, that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the two books that are out um, are both prequels too, because they talk about uh, what the first one was a, a, like a year before um, the events of the TV series, um, Battle of the Binary Stars, and then uh, the next one, which I haven't read yet, but maybe Donovan has, talks more about Lorca and his earlier years. Yeah, really early. So it's like it's like maybe ten years before the yeah. ba- the Battle of the Binary Stars. So it's really good. It has like a Lieutenant Lorca and uh, and uh, a low ranking uh, Giorgio in it as well. So it's kind of cool to see how they were before they were captains. And cool. are we talking about this universe or the Mirror Universe? No, this, this universe. universe. Okay. Yeah, but both novels are in this universe, right? Or so we think. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. So just uh, to get some spoiler stuff out of the way, uh, we are going to talk about issues number one and two of Star Trek Discovery, The Light of Kalis. Uh We're going to try to be light on spoilers because most, for the most part, this is just kind of a prequel type thing. Um, and then at the end, instead of doing a third book, we'll just kind of cover the series as a whole, the first season. Um, and it, when we start that, it'll be heavy spoilers. So... We'll try to keep it light until we're finished with the books and then go heavy on it in case you're one of the few people that uh, haven't actually seen the series yet. Sounds good. So 
Just throwing that out there for. You know, you know. I, I know what you mean by go light. A spoiler is a spoiler, and there are some big ones. And once you say it, cats out of the bag. You know what I mean? Yeah, because sure. there are some big twists and turns in season one. No two ways about it. They had a lot and of. They had multiple mystery boxes to uh, to open. Which was, and I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but that was one of the strong points of that series. I believe was yes. was the the actual storyline and plot twist. No matter yeah. what you think about all the other controversies. You can't deny it was it. There were a few like what moments, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and some we figured out ahead of time, or the internet did, and we heard about them. They said, "Oh, that makes sense." And some, nope, I had no idea. I know about I know. one of them. I had no idea until Ken wrote me. Can you believe this happened? And I'm like, <laughs> I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> Good form, Ken. Good form. Uh, what? Oh yeah, I had, I had moments. How far behind me... can he be? <laughs> well, I had moments watching Discovery that felt similar to sitting in the theater for The Empire Strikes Back and for the first time hearing, spoiler alert, I am your father. I mean, it was that same kind of like, what? <laughs> Stuff. Yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's table that until we get through these two books, um, and, then, and then we'll start that back up. How's that sound? Sounds good. Sounds great. All right, so Ken, I believe you got the synopsis for Star Trek Discovery issue number one. I do. This one was published October 2017. The writer was uh, Kirsten Bayer and Mike Johnson. Art by Tony Shastine. Colors by J.D. Mettler. Letters by And World Design. Production design, Neil Yataki. Editor, Sarah Gatos. Editorial assist, Chase Marats. Publishers, Ted Adams. Okay, so we have four covers for this issue. The first one, cover A, features the head and shoulder shot of Takuvma with a fiery background. Cover was by George Kaltsodas. Cover B is a photo cover of Takuvma on his flagship's bridge. The first retailer incentive cover is artwork of Takuvma on his uh, flagship's bridge, a lot like cover B, but this one's uh, drawn by J.D. Woodward. The second retailer incentive variant cover is of the Shenzhou flying through space. And that cover is by Declan Shalvi and Jordi Belair. The Battle of the Binary Stars is over. Takuvma is dead, his great flagship crippled. No help is coming for the survivors. A Klingon engineer appears to be dining on the remains of Captain Giorgio and comments derisively on what the humans call arbor. Valk enters the room and has some difficulty getting the engineers back to work on repairing the ship. His words appear to finally motivate them, at least for now. Valk bemoans the lack of respect the crew shows for him to Elrel. She says they will come around in time. Takuvma saw greatness in him. Elrel tells him of Takuvma's past so that Volk can understand why he cho- chose him as his successor. The story starts when Takuvma was a young man on Quonos. He is running through the estate of House Girja, running away from his brothers and his ruffian friends who call him Runt and beat him up. Their attacks draw blood and finally force Takuvma into the forest, the dangerous forest. As he runs farther into the unknown, he comes upon a huge derelict ship. 
He did not realize it then, but in time it will become his flagship. He stumbles through the derelict's interior and sees people, and finally his older sister, Jeula. She says it's about time he showed up and tells Takuvma of how his family has allowed their servants and their crowning achievement, the proud ship that surrounds them, to all fall into disrepair. Takuvma refers to the ship as a wreck, but she corrects him. It is our inheritance. Their father and his father before him let this mighty ship fall into disrepair just as it was being readied for launch. The ship cost too much, and the family's investments were not paying off. Rather than finding a way to complete the ship and launch a proud history, they cut spending and conserved what was left of their fortunes. Through use of a helmet device, she shows to Kuvma what House Gira used to be, a huge estate to be proud of, but not anymore. The decline spreads beyond the walls of their house's lands and to the High Council itself. We have forgotten what it means to be Klingon. She tells Takuva of Kalis, the first true Klingon, the father of Klingon honor, and the warrior spirit. One day, when they complete repairing the great ship of the House Gira, they will travel to the brightest star in the sky, Boreth. There they will find Kalis, reborn to his people, to lead the people out of their decadence and into greatness. She asks Takuma to keep their plan secret from their brothers and uncle. He agrees to be silent. Over time, Takuma spends much time in the ship, helping to repair it, learning how to fight from an accomplished fighter named Kel from among his servants. Through interactions with his uncle, who is now the head of House Gara. Takuvma garners favor with him. He proclaims Takuvma will be sent to the monastery on Boreth, where he will become a true Klingon and eventually take a position of leadership in House Gara. Takuvma tells his sister the news, but he only wants to go to Boreth with her in the derelict ship as they, as they planned. Jula tells him she is happy for him, and that he needs to take this opportunity and learn all he can from the monks at Boreth. Later, Takuvma arrives at the monastery on Boreth in a drenching rain. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Story is teed up. Right. So we get to find out about Takuvma and his origins. So this is an origin story. It right. is, it is, um, with a framework, you know, set right, you know, from ish, episode one. I was, you know, appreciated the frame. So yeah. were you guys familiar with the names uh, when you were watching the show? So when you were reading this book, did you know that her name was, um, what's her name, Lalal or whatever? Uh, as far as all the Klingon names, it took me a while to uh, get them down. Uh, I had a hard time keeping track of the Klingon names. Right. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I've got the um, the IMDb page open just so I can make reference to it to make sure I, have, I know who's who when we're talking about it because I had the same issue with the names. Right. So when I was reading this, obviously I recognize her when she's telling the story that, oh, that's the girl that, that you know, I know what happens to her later. Um, but um, 
but then she starts telling this story of Takuvma's childhood, and it introduces this sister, uh, Julia. And I was thinking, oh, this is her. This she's telling the story of of her actually being Takuvma's sister, but you know, not not being at, at his at his rank. So for the first book, and then a little bit of this next issue. I was really thinking that they were the same person until I realized that, uh, you know, they had a different name and obviously not not the same person. But did were you guys aware of these are two different people right from the beginning? Uh, what the sister and sister and then the one telling the story? Well, yeah, because she, well, yeah, yeah because she's the one telling the story. Or Rel or El Rel. But I can tell a story about my childhood too, and then and oh, then, uh, you he so he. So he doesn't know uh, uh, about Takuma's sister. Oh, I, I see. Well, what he you didn't. Mean. I mean, they make a big deal that he doesn't know anything about this sister yeah. before, and I was yeah. like, oh, it's because it's her. Oh, the sister. That was going to be a uh, twist. That's what I was thinking, and then uh, it didn't go that way. But with oh, that mindset, I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm still not there. You're saying that the I woman thought, on I the thought, bridge, yeah, who Lorel. is the one that ends up in prison in the show, right? Right, in the brig. She, is actually Takuma's sister. Is that's that what, what you're I was saying? thinking throughout the first issue and and part of the next issue. That uh, that's what I that's what I thought was going to be the big reveal of uh, the first issue was that you know that it was uh, that she's Al-Rel. actually the sister. Which then I was right. like, well, that would actually make sense because you know she was such a, a a devoted follower of Takuma and then ultimately Vok. Um, and then I was like, it would have been even cooler if. You know, she she supports Vok even though she was at one time uh, Takuma's you know peer or maybe even superior, uh, older the spark sister. that that lit it, that uh, got him into it in the beginning. Yeah. I thought that's where they were going, uh, and I was wondering if if you guys were going that route too, or if no. you were well versed enough to know that these were two different people just by their names. Because it never occurred to me that they were the same person, <laughs> nor to me. But Donovan sees things. I know. And sometimes know they're insightful and sometimes not. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a not thing. <laughs> <laughs> Happens. His brain's yeah. always going. But, you know, the, these Klingons all kind of look the same. Well, yeah, are Don't we going to have specious. that conversation? I know you guys have already had a, a uh, uh, Discovery 1 episode, but have we talked about the annoying appearance of the Klingons yet? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think we, we probably we mentioned do it so. in the past. Well, because here's the thing. I, I realized only recently that probably the reason they felt they have such an incredibly changed um, makeover of the Klingons again was because if you had the Klingons look like sort of next generation era Klingons, the whole big reveal about who Volk really is wouldn't, you know, you couldn't do it. You had to disguise him. Because you could recognize him more easily. Makeup. And, and uh, you know, so I <clears throat> one of my problems um, with the show early on was it was so heavily Klingon and and frankly the Klingon language while it's kind of cool that it exists as its own language, you know, and you can get Hamlet and the Bible in on Amazon and Klingon, um, <laughs> it's it's hard to listen to over and over again. And I'm thinking, why are we doing this with the subtitles? And right. you know, it got, I thought I felt it got tedious. Um, and the the redesign, I was like, why are we even setting this in this time era? With the, couldn't we t- told the story with a different race, you know, because they look so different. 
So I'm well, wondering now but, if they just didn't want to do do Klingons such that they could disguise Volk. Well, yeah, I, I could see that as being being the reason, but I, I don't yeah. I don't think that was the reason. Yeah, yeah. As, as far as doing this story with a different race, I mean, they could have, but you know, mm. there was no assurance that this this series was going to be a success, and the idea of seeing the Klingon uh, Federation war in the, you know, the, the original one uh, was pretty cool. And that's what uh, they were doing that uh, crowdfunded movie all Axanar. about too. Axanar. There you right, go. Right. Axanar. So prelude, prelude to Axanar was <clears throat> bodacious. That was a great, oh, so good. That was, was so, good. that was so well done. And I think the movie would have been great, but this is exactly why they killed it. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, so, um, the creators of, of this series really wanted to tell this story, uh, Brian Fuller, Alex Kurtzman, and um, yeah, they had to do it with uh, Klingons. Yeah, Only... I don't, I don't but, know. But, yeah. Why change their faces and, and, and heads? I was even okay with their face being different. It was just that suddenly nobody had hair, <laughs> which Klingons have always been, you know, they always have the little goatee. They always have, you know, a certain <laughs> hairstyle. No matter what their foreheads look like, they always kind of had at least some sort of cue that this is the Klingons from the ne- the the original series. Whereas these, until this comic book, I had never seen a Klingon with hair. So that was one of the things about this book that I was like, all right, so they can grow hair. That's good to know. Because uh, there's a few people that have mustaches and uh, little little tufts of hair in the back in oh. this book. But but the in, in the show, I never once okay. saw anybody with facial hair or hair uh, at all. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I I had a real hard time not only with the I mean, even the cultural stuff within the Klingon. I know they're warriors. I know they can be savage, et cetera, et cetera. But they really took it too far. I felt like like and let this brings us into the book. Um, the whole feasting on the flesh of your enemies was a little much. I thought. Well, you know, it was. They, it was. When I mentioned it in the show. I was like, oh. And then when when there's when they we're actually seeing it graphically, the steaming remains of the captain, I was like, uh, it, it it was it just it didn't even seem it seemed too much for even the Klingons at that point. Yeah. Well, when we found out about that in the TV show, at least it had the justification that they were running out of food. Um. So mm-hmm. when they mentioned that, and it was like. Oh well, you're, you know, what's good? If you run out of out of food, what are you going to do? Like eat each other? I mean, that's the next step. Why wouldn't you eat eat an alien enemy? But <laughs> in this comic, that eating is happening early. Uh, it's like the first page, and it's like so it's... yeah, early in time. So there's no. I mean, they probably haven't run out of 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 food yet. <laughs> so I agree with what you're saying. Uh, it's just that the book is really making me realize exactly when they were eating her. So the Klingons never talked about feasting on their uh, enemies in the in any of the other media. Yeah, but because that didn't seem that, that always seemed figurative. That seemed figurative to me. I mean, I don't remember seeing in any Star Trek series or movies where they actually literally said, "I am feasting on my fallen enemy." Yeah, I don't think they did. I, that's, I can't remember a single time either. Well, I just assumed blood wine came from. I thought, well, I thought that, that could have came from an animal. Yeah, true, but 
I don't know. I don't know. That part, when they mentioned that in the movie and then when they showed it here, that, that to me didn't scream non-Klingon to me. Yeah, and I, I think they're also trying to say, you know, the Klingons were in this savage stage themselves where there was no unity among the houses. Um, but <clears throat> let's let's face it, and, and this this will bring us into yet another discussion about the comic book, when we're only in page two or three and, and they're talking about their uniform, okay, it's bad enough that they're feasting on this captain's body, but I will wipe my ass with this armor. <laughs> I, I was like, dude, you know, first of all, this. <clears throat> I guess I, I feel like, you know, if I'm, if I'm hanging out with my friends, I, I am, my, my language, my illusions um, are all, Pretty extreme and gross, but to read a comic book that I wonder our kids looking at this, that was I felt like that was just too much, you know? Right. Well, the the TV series went that direction too a few times. That that uh, I, I know of a, a few friends of my son. You know, he's only eleven, and he you know his his friends are also the same age, and and their parents were getting them to watch Star Trek, and they started with Discovery because that was the new series and it was new. And so I know for a lot of kids my son's age. This this Star Trek was their first Star Trek, right? Because they never watched the original series or or Next Generation or anything like that. Um, and I'm watching it, and then you know they, they they drop the F word for the first time, and then they show nudity for the first time, and there's a lot of graphic stuff in that series. And I was a little turned off on it because I knew of so many kids that were watching this as their first Star Trek experience. Well, that was my next comment was that it wasn't just Star Trek has gone in this sort of like dark new direction it's sort of also reflective of cultural norms and things that have well, yeah. the way we have shifted into crass and there's <clears> like <throat> it, it, there's like no boundaries or limits anymore you know and i right. sound like a, like a, like an like an old conservative which is ironic because i'm certainly not not conservative in my politics and i'm certainly not old so um yeah it, i don't know i just i hear myself Sounding like my parents didn't like, what is the world coming to? But really. Yeah, well, okay, so first off, you got to ask a 17-year-old whether you're old or not, Brian. And I think that's relative. <laughs> I was so you ironic. might be. You might uh, be. No. Um, but, okay, <clears throat> they are competing with other modern-day cable-slash-internet-available series. Game of Thrones, a lot of other things, which is even more graphical and has even more sex. So that doesn't make everything okay, but that's the landscape that they're competing in. So, you know, 100% G-rated uh, Star Trek probably wouldn't fly as well either. Right, but but by adding that in there, did it get more viewers? Did someone like, oh, they used the F word? Well, I, yeah, I'm not going to watch, uh, you know, Game of Thrones this week. I'm going to watch – I'm going to sign up for CBS All Access because I want to watch an F word. It doesn't add anything to the the, the story. You're either going to watch it or you weren't, right? So I, I don't I don't I don't see how this got new viewers, right? Um, by going in this direction in those few scenes. And, and it was startling for me. I still see, um, you know, the comic books. I know this is me naive, and it is because I'm old. That was a joke, Ken. <laughs> um, but I, I still see comic books. I think kids. You know, and I don't know, and I and I p picture kid opening this up, and the first thing he sees is I will wipe my ass with her armor, and I'm like, oh, uh, no, 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 that, this is there's something wrong here. 
um, I, I thought it was just kind of a an intention to be as shocking and kind of base as possible. And um, I don't know, it didn't work for me. I'm not squeamish either. I mean, I'm really not. Um, it just felt out of place. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I, I think they were trying to get across the idea that this engineer is a lazy, uh, crass person you're not supposed to like, and that kind of helped underscore that he's a jerk. And then <laughs> Jakubma's trying to deal with, or not Jakubma, Volk is trying to deal with him. So right. I, I agree they didn't have to do it that way, but that might have been part of what they were trying to go for. I don't know. Yeah, they just wanted to throw it in your face that uh, this is not your, your dad's Klingons. Yeah, well, yeah. if that's the case, it worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. But aside from that, I, I I really liked these issues because it felt like this story is a, a traditional Klingon story. I... You know what they were mentioning about Kalis, what they were talking about their their cultures mm-hmm. fits more in line with the next generation and and original series and all the other Klingon expanded media that we've had. Uh, whereas a lot of times in the TV show, sometimes they would throw something out there, and I'm like, well, that doesn't really fit in with, uh, you know, I can't see, you know, uh, Worf or somebody else like that mentioning this as their background right but but this issue and the next issue uh all their religion stuff and all their practices and stuff i'm like yeah this is this is klingon stuff they don't look like klingons but at least they're acting like it in these books i thought yeah yep but interesting because it was far enough in the past that the culture is going through shifts and through ebbs Mm -hmm. and flows and um definitely at this time period very fractured uh I don't know if decadence is the right word, but um, there's not as much honor going on as there should be. A lot of self-serving, my house first kind of stuff going on. Uh, so that's kind of interesting to see how the cult. there are cultural things we're seeing that we recognize, and that's cool. But they're also a little different from the ones that we saw in the other uh, TV series. I absolutely right. agree. I think, I think that nuance is really important. You know, and you're right. That that's why it is more savage. That's why it is more. Um, you know, and and the whole point is, Takuma is trying to pull all this together, and now he's dead, and so it's kind of falling apart again. Um, I don't know. I, I I agreed. I thought the whole cultural shift in the Klingon uh, culture was well played, nuanced, and sometimes subtle. I like that. So there. There you go. <laughs> so there. Exactly. So uh, for 100... Okay, so this ship, apparently a very advanced ship, was, for its, its time, sat there for hundreds of years. Did they say hundreds or hundred? I think they oh, just... Okay, a hundred. A hundred years. Well, at yeah. least. There were multi-generations that let it sit there. Mm-hmm. So... So they spent the uh, the house Gira spent so much money on that ship that they finally ran out of funds to the point that they were on the teetering point of bankruptcy, to use a, a human term. Um, so they so that actually putting all their resources so much into that ship put them on a path for of decline. 
That's that's what I got. Yeah. You know, I got to say, that from the art point of view, when I looked at the ship and it's sort of just being the shell of what it was, I couldn't picture it ever, you know, flying again. I thought that was... It's a weird design. It, it took it too far. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, most of these ships, until the new reboot, you always had been told they were built in space and they... How are they going to get this thing in space? You know, and I, that was that didn't work for me. That the ship was too far gone, too big, and it, too much in need of repair. That that it would not even be worth trying to get this particular vessel back in, back in space. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I thought it was weird that I mean, not weird, but I liked when Ken in a synopsis mentioned it and called it a derelict because there's a few camera angles where <laughs> they they purposely try to make it or at least i'm assuming they try to make it look like the derelict ship in uh, alien mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. with with even the way they frame the nacelles and the the, the bridge it kind of looks like almost a horseshoe shape which is what the, the derelict ship in that movie looked like uh so i was really getting an alien vibe when he was yeah. walking up towards it yeah i like mm-hmm. that yeah i agree Right, this wasn't the ship that Takuvimbo was on, the big sarcophagus ship, in the first episode. Oh, yeah. Is it? I, I don't this think... Is? I, I think it I is, think. yeah. They haven't said it yet, because we haven't got that far into the series, but uh, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what this is ultimately going yeah, to th- be. Yeah, th- this is the one that has the invisibility capabilities. True. True, which again, canon, you know, the whole cloaking thing, which... Yeah. Ten years later, they're only talking about for the first time the Romulans have got this new technology. Exactly. Um, yeah. So in in Star Trek Enterprise, I've I've not, I've loved that show, but I haven't watched it as much as I've watched all the other ones. But you know, they introduced the Klingons there. Um, did they ever have cloaking technology in that one? Because that would be about a hundred years before this issue, and and I keep thinking, well, maybe maybe there was an issue, an episode where. The Klingon, a Klingon house got uh, the cloaking technology from uh, the the K, uh, not Kazon, um, Suleiman, or something like that. And maybe I'm just not remembering the, the time traveling Suleiman, or, or yep. the ones that were helped out by the that the race from the future, future the time race, war. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they had they had cloaking ships, right? So I mean. The idea of a cloaking ship has been introduced in the Star Trek timeline well before Kirk. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't happen because I saw Enterprise when it was first on. Same um, And I, I don't remember any cloaked ships in no? that. No? Okay. But there was a whole – there was that huge time travel from the 29th century, you know, timeline. So eh, that might work. But I, I can't imagine these writers sitting down and caring that much. I, I think – I just think – it's one. It's yet another thing on the list of um, disrespect and disregard of canon, which you know we can talk about that later. All right. All right. Well, since we're talking about the ship, can I talk about something inside the ship? Sure. And okay. That's, that's the weird mask thing that she puts on his face. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was that, and what exactly did it do? I mean, it just let him see his own house from well, the ship. Well, it's just an Oculus Rift, and it's kind of showing them. It's a virtual reality thing. That's all it is. It, it, it's Klingon Viewmaster. <laughs> there you go. That's another. That's yeah. It's, a, it's Klingon Viewmaster or an Oculus Rift or whatever. 
It looked yeah. like the Predator mask. It's like, here, let me put the yeah, Predator cool. mask on you. Yeah, it's kind of – it seems like it's overkill. <laughs> <laughs> and she just has this thing laying around. Okay, here you go. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a helpful instructional tool, giving him some audiovisual things in addition to what she was telling him. But Right. It was interesting, too, in, in terms of a framework of – because now you've got a, a story within a story within a story, you know? <laughs> You got your framework. They're they're on the binary star battle ship, and they're telling this story about the past. And within the story in the past, she's telling him about the past beyond <laughs> that. You know, you know, right? Like the the right. level's kind of good. But yeah, I I thought the mask was unnecessary and a little silly. Right. Uh, let me mention something about the ship. I mean, when you see the shots shots in the ship. This place looks like uh, like a 16th century um, church, church abbey, yep. something. I mean, it looks like it almost looks like, like they've got bricks, putting <laughs> you know, forming those arches and the glass, huge tall glass windows, and then light streaming in. I mean, this thing doesn't look space worthy. <laughs> it just, I mean, that's great. I, I love the look. It's just. <laughs> It just looks so much like a, like a fragile uh, cathedral or something. Right. Right. And for any of you listeners out there, when Ken said Abby something and you got a young Frankenstein image, I'm right there with you. Just... Oh, Abby Normal? Abby. Uh, hey, what, what was his name? Abby something. So, <laughs> wow. Right. Abby? <clears throat> yes, Abby Normal. All Abby right. something. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, you know, that shot actually plays into the idea that this is the ship, the tomb ship from the first episode, because it right. kind of looks like it there. Yeah. But but when I was watching the show, I never thought that it looked like brick and stuff inside. Um, whereas yeah, what these guys are working on, it shows some guy with a chisel and hammer, and he's chipping away at, at brick. You're right. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm using oh, yeah, the, yeah, you're right. You're right. I see that. Yeah, it's on page something. Yep. 13, 32. Yep. Something. But it definitely looks like a cathedral. Right. A cool look. I mean, it, visually, it's really cool, but it just doesn't seem right for a ship. But it's Klingon. What do you want? Kind of like the eighth Doctor's TARDIS when he had all this, like, uh, it looked like a like a mansion inside instead of a, a control panel. Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm with you. Yeah, but a TARDIS, that's totally different, man. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm mixing genres today. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a full pool. So I've brought I've brought up Doctor Who, Alien, and Predator. So we'll see what other franchises I can shoehorn <laughs> into this conversation. Okay. <laughs> um, I, my last comment is I just wanted to point out to, to support Donovan. Um, Sister Jula reminds me of Elrel, the lady who knows the score more than any of the young males around her. So. There are ways in her behavior and stuff that that she definitely remind the two re, two characters reminded me of the same person. So there you go, there you go, Donovan. Yeah, I was waiting for that to be the reveal. Mm. Well, I'll say that I uh, did think in this uh, series and in the actual show there were strong women characters, and that does seem to be a theme in sci-fi and you know the whole Black Panther thing. Um, with strong women characters, and, I, and I'm really glad to see that. I think that's a oh yeah positive exactly yeah. 
Yeah, I do too, but um, but I think people are going too far the other way where if you don't like one of those franchises for whatever reason, um, you immediately get labeled as, oh, you don't like it because it's a strong woman. So, I mean, J.J. Abrams recently made a statement. If you don't like the new Star Wars movie, it's because you don't like strong women. And I'm like, I didn't like the new Star Wars movie, but it had nothing to do with the strong women part. It was the movie. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I, 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 I don't I, – I like that they're doing movies and, and it's more of a, a female hero because, I mean, I love Aliens. I love you know uh, those other Terminators, which has very strong female characters. Um, so I don't, I know that's not the reason I didn't like, uh, you know, the last Jedi, but, uh, but for JJ Abrams to just make that statement and he's not the only one people are like, if you don't like black, black Panther, you're a racist, you know? And it's just like, you can't go there. You can't just say you, that's true. Uh, you can't like that because of X, you know? Right. Uh, however, there are people <laughs> don't Who like feel black Panther. Male. It's because right, their white male privilege is slipping. is threatened is threatened yeah. somehow. Uh, so I'm not yes, saying I, there's not people out there like. Well, no, that, and I know you're not. You I, can't I'm just, lump everybody I, who doesn't like the movie into that category. Oh, I completely agree. With, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's just that there are people <laughs> that are doing that. I mean, you can't lump everybody into it, right? But yeah, there are misogynistic people <laughs> and racist people that are commenting on these films that go to places. I think the last Mad Max movie was similar like that. Um, I mean, they didn't like the idea that uh, uh, whatever Charlize Theron's character was, I don't remember what it was, that she was actually like on a par with Max. Uh, and in some cases, she was better than Max. She was a better uh, long-distance marksman than he was. So right. that can happen. I am just so sick of the 60s, 70s, and, and before and after where – Women were always relegated to uh, the damsel in distress, uh, nine times out of ten. Sure. Um, so it's well, like, you know, I, just so I mean, everybody can – go ahead. I'm sorry. A no, great example of that is the original Lost in Space series where in mm-hmm. the first, epi- first two episodes, Maureen Robinson was like – she went out and saved her husband. She had to like fix something. And like after the second episode, she just like, you know, made tea and, and was, was the housekeeper. Yeah. Um, you know, I – so yeah, I think this is actually a good, a good trend. And I, I know you too, Donovan. I know you, I, I hear your point that just and it's a, and it's a correct point. In a movie doesn't mean it's a good movie. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And the idea that anybody says anything bad about a movie is automatically labeled one thing or another. Uh, that's not right either. Completely agree. Right. 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 But yeah, no. As far as Star Trek Discovery goes, I liked that um, Lorel had such a huge part in it. Uh, and obviously, uh, Burnham, you know, was was the main focus, and and she had this great story arc, and and she was a very strong character, and you know, n- because of her background, she didn't necessarily think like like I thought, like a human would think, which I really liked that aspect too. I mean, it was a very multifaceted story with with internal conflict, which was fantastic, and and it didn't matter that she was male or female or whatever, but. But uh, I did like that, you know, we did get to see it from uh, a woman's point of view where most of Star Trek's always been, you know, you know, Kirk and company, all guys, and then uh, Picard and Riker. And then, you know, they've always kind of focused on on the male leadership role as opposed to, 
you know, somebody further down the row rung and uh, also female. I mean, I Hell, guess Voyager a little bit, but. Uh, Gene but, Roddenberry uh, went on record when he was redoing, when he was doing Next Generation saying, and yes, I will still use women as sex objects because I think they're beautiful. And, you know, it was, it was pretty overt. I mean, <laughs> look at some of those costumes from, from original series. From the first um, season, those short skirts. Well, or even just like I, I, I can remember. Oh yeah, um, there's some great. Oh my god, uh, what, what, uh, what a little girl's made of, or whatever. Yeah, uh, Yvonne Craig in that one outfit. I think that was that one. Anyway, well, some I'm, of the costumes I'm not were suggesting great. that they're not beautiful women, but I'm saying that the costumes themselves were just so explo- ex- you know, they exploited these these women, and it was so obvious that they were there. I mean, and look, let's even look at Voyager. The whole bringing in seven of nine in the middle of the series. Yeah, right. um, and of course she was a beautiful woman and, but they were clearly exploiting that to get viewers, you know, well, and oh, yeah. all too. I mean, it always kind of bothered me that they put them in those outfits. Like every series had to have one woman that was wearing a skin tight cat suit, you know, right. from, right. That's true. from Troy to seven of nine to, to Paul. It's That's like, true. I was like, why can't they just wear normal uniforms like everybody else? Hmm. But at least enterprise tried to balance the scales a little bit. In that, de- in that decontamination scene <laughs> with Trip Tucker and T'Pol, there was greasy uh, gooeyness going on on both sides. It was completely gratuitous, and if I'm completely, <laughs> if I'm completely honest, incredibly hot. So. <laughs> we'll see it served its purpose then. There you yeah, go. It so. did. But it was also balanced. It was male and female, and it wasn't, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, but okay. But there, so there's done, one example. There's one example. That's when about when it. they were done, he got to go put normal clothes on, where she had to go put something that was <laughs> super skin tight and have to sit on the bridge for four years in that outfit. Yeah, yeah. I would have been okay. Yeah, she some, did. Yeah, I would have been okay if some of the male characters also had skin tight outfits. I will agree <laughs> with you, but I didn't see any. Like comic spandex. Yeah. There you go. Okay. All right, so back to this issue. Does anybody else have anything else for issue one, or nope. should we move on to issue two? No, I think, I think we're there. Um, and by the way, I'm, sc- I'm kind of scrolling through and looking at the ship now. Uh, I just will say this, because I was thinking about Ken's comment about it looking like um, a cathedral, and I was like, oh, wow, it really does. And there is one shot that you can see it is the ship because of the, the bridge. They know the, the where... She says, hello, little brother, when she first comes on and she's standing up and there's a sort of like uh, staircase that comes down on both right. sides. That isn't isn't that a set from the first yeah, episode? That's, so that's, that's where, clearly uh, that's where Takuma bites it right there on that staircase. Right. And then he makes his big speech and all that. So, yeah, yeah we are talking about <clears throat> that ship, right. which was a massive ship. How are they going to get this thing off the planet? But Antigrav. Anyway. Antigrav tech. Come on! If the, inter- if the Enterprise can hang out underwater, this thing can be spaceworthy. <laughs> Fair oh, that is so dumb. God, I hated that. I, I know you guys always say that, and I agree with you. It was dumb, but, but it was I cool. Still thought it was cool. It was cool. I know. That's it's cool. It comes out of the water. That that's oh, it was beautifully visually sure. Yeah, it was stupid, like, but it was I great. Love, look. I love gold keys fire out of the engine section and the the shuttle section. It was awesome, <laughs> but it's stupid. <laughs> okay. Number two. All right. Number two. All right. So this is Star Trek Discovery. The Light of Kalis, number two, came out November 2017 by IDW. 
The uh, art and all the other staff is the exact same as issue one, which Ken already mentioned. Um, it too had four covers. Um, the first one, uh, cover A, was uh, just shows Vok holding a sword. Uh, this is by uh, Tony Shastine. Uh, cover B was a photo cover of Laurel. Uh, cover RIA shows Takuvma inside of a, a very interesting design and perhaps what looks like a view screen of some sort below him showing like a, a fiery star. And that was uh, drawn by Aaron Harvey. And then cover RIB shows the, the relic Klingon ship, uh, obviously Takuva's ship from the movie. Um, and it looks like it's going at warp. And that was by uh, D-Clan Shavy and Jordi Belair. So this story starts back um, in the quote-unquote present with, uh, with Laurel retelling the story from the, the first issue. Uh, so Laurel has just finished her story about the young Takuvma's childhood, and Vok is having a hard time believing that Takuvma's sister uh, had, such a big pl uh, had such a big influence on Takuvma's idea of uniting the Klingons. Laurel asks if he's having a hard time with this because it was a woman. And he says, no, he's just curious why Takuvma never told the story himself. Laurel then tells him that that was just the beginning of his journey. So then we flash back again, uh, maybe a, a year or so later. Uh, it's still a very young Takuvma, but now he's on the uh, planet of Barath, which is where all the, the Klingons go to learn the, the religious ways. Uh, we see that there are several young acolytes uh, enduring a test where they have to set on a rock near molten lava. The instructors are commenting to themselves that this is one of the best classes because they've stayed there longer than normal. And then eventually one Klingon has had enough and he starts to ascend out of the volcano using some dangling chains. And then like clockwork, the instructors note that all the other apprentices start to climb out once the first one breaks. They then notice that a young Takuvma is still sitting on his rock, meditating. After a long while, Takuvma eventually leaves the lava and joins his teachers. They ask him if he had any visions of Kalis. He says that he did not, but he did have a vision of a light. They do not know what this means, but they encourage him to continue to look for it. Later, the young Klingon students are stripped of all their clothing and walking through a blinding blizzard. This is also a test of endurance. And it seems this time that the students are on the losing side. Many of them are starting to give up, and the others are just leaving their naked comrades behind. The onlooking instructors fear that this will be the first year that they lose all the students. Suddenly, from the blinding snow, they see Takuvma returning with all of the others in tow. Takuvma has led them out of the blinding snow, and he's even carrying the ones that cannot walk on their own. Takuvma says that he was following the light to salvation. Later, the elders are talking to Takuvma about his visions. One of them is so impressed with him that he says that Takuvma might actually be the reincarnation of Kalis himself. They say that his time here at the monastery is up, and Takuvma corrects them, saying that he does not want to leave. He wants to eventually become an instructor himself. 
They then hand him a letter that uh, states that he needs to return to the home world to attend the wedding of his sister. Takuvma is quite surprised by this news. Later on Kronos, Takuvma returns and meets with his family who are now actually a little fearful of their younger brother. Takuvma is able to get away with his sister, Julia, and they visit the derelict ship. The restoration is almost complete. The only thing left is the outer hull. And they even have the cloaking shields working. When she leaves to prepare for the wedding, Takuvma is able to speak to Kel, who tells him that Julia is not like she was years ago. She's changed. She's now no better than the politicians, and she only looks out for herself. Takuvma then spends some time in the mausoleum to speak to his father's casket. He states that he hopes that he is honoring his father's memory by taking the, up this religious route. And then he returns to the great hall for the wedding feast. When he arrives, he is shocked to see that all his family members lay dead on the floor. The only living people in the room are his sister and her new family, the house of Morkai. Dolor, her new husband, tells Takuvma that the only way he will survive himself is to pledge his allegiance to him. To be continued. <laughs> what a turn of events. Didn't see this yeah. coming. I really didn't either. Are, are you being sarcastic? No, no, I'm not being sarcastic at all. I didn't see it coming. Right. I, I, I know I didn't, especially the, the killing of the family. I didn't, still not quite sure what that was about. Well, that was definitely the brothers, right? Did they actually kill the uncle too? I guess they did. Yeah, I know I the brothers the, are dead. I killed the uncles and the brothers and everybody, yeah. Uh, mm, wow, okay. That was even worse than I thought. So I think this underscores um, exactly how uh, uh, Jula is smart and motivated and ruthless. Right. You mean, uh, all right, did I miss something? Is she in on the killing of the family? Oh, I'm, I think so, yeah. I think she's the architect of it. Oh. I mean, she hates her brothers. So that's why I thought it was just the brothers. But uh, she's in league with her new husband to take over. And this is the only way she could do it. Right. I think. Well, we'll but find I, out. I we'll, find out like... we'll find out more in issue three. I think she still likes Takuvma, and that's why oh, yeah. maybe he's getting an option where the other ones exactly. didn't get it. Get exactly. I completely agree. Huh. And I think she might be conflicted, too, because she did at least go through and show him that they are still working on the, on the ship, even though she might not be directly uh, overseeing it anymore. But you could tell that it still means something to her, even though she does say that it was a childish dream and stuff like that. But, uh, but ultimately... She did still side with her new husband to, you know, kill her family and try to take over uh, another house of the of the Klingon Empire. So she she's she's still she's still maybe a little good still inside of her, but uh, but obviously she's uh, she's not the sister he grew up with. No, and she's definitely the ends justifies the means kind of person. Apparently, apparently, uh, yeah. I guess I missed all that. I'm feeling foolish. I, I, at the end, I thought that she was as like, oh, gosh, this is going to be a harder marriage than I thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, well, 
We'll find out in issue three. We'll find out in the next issue, but that's not that's not the way I took it. I took well, it that she was part of it. I think you guys are right now that I'm kind of thinking about it and looking at it again. It just didn't occur to me when I was reading it. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I got a question about the ship again. So she says the hull is not finished and everything else works. So do you think he's going to go and grab all these caskets of the, the, the dead Klingons and patch the hole up with the cl- caskets, and that's why all those caskets. That's why are the caskets are all on the outside of of the ship in the future. Yes. Yeah. Sure. They're clearly setting us up for that. I mean, the whole, yeah, um, the tomb and et cetera. And I think that's exactly what it is. But isn't that a little silly to 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 patch your ship up with caskets? Well, I, I, is, is it actually going to be decoration, or is it? I mean, you're saying it's going to be functional, not just decorative. That, that's what I'm thinking that they're going to lean towards because I'm thinking he's going to need to get out of there quick, and they're going to be like, it, it works except for the casket, or except for the hole. Let's just patch hmm. a bunch of uh, these caskets on there and get out of here. Huh. I thought it was going to be decorative, but yeah. Go, but, hmm. uh, but I don't know. No, I thought it was ceremonial. I think they made that pretty clear that it was like this, these places of honor. And like, it, I thought that ship was designed to be a mausoleum ship that that was its its function from the beginning so you know it's sort of like retrofitting to to be flying graveyard or whatever you want to call it um yeah well interesting to see that's probably what they want to do with this one of the things with this series is is explain how that came to be sure but i also think it was meant to be a warship right with the invisibility cloak or whatever and it's got weapons, so I think it, maybe both. Right. And where's the money coming from to to do all these repairs? It, you know, that's well, what that's I was. That's why thinking. they're doing it with stone, is because they don't have any money. Mm. Yeah, when you don't have money, you can just go find some brick and put it, and build a station. <laughs> <with it>. Right. <laughs> well, at least we know where the people come from. Although how they're feeding the people, good question. But good point on materials. Yeah, right. You know. And at least they're saying the the hundred year old technology is still working, uh, which is kind of interesting. But I guess if you need to repair something with unskilled labor, probably better that you've only got hulls to fix and and shining it up and maybe redoing some brick as opposed right. to uh, all the more technical uh, complex things. Yeah, it, that's not really working. We're talking about a you know space vessel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you know, bringing in their, your local mason or someone who doesn't even have those skills, I just yeah, that, it doesn't seem yeah. silly. It seems a bit silly. Another thing that's amazing is for like over a hundred years or whatever, the that ship with advanced technology that is very sellable. I mean, cloaking technology. I mean, was it kept secret that none of those people that right. ran ran the house? that seem more money-oriented than glory-oriented or war-oriented. None of those guys took that cloaking technology and tried to sell it or something? That seems unlikely, well, uh, unless it was first, a big secret. Well, in the first issue, it seemed like it was a secret. Like, like she is letting Takuma in on the secret, and, and I think she even says something about, you know, we don't tell our family, you know, we don't tell the uncle and the brothers. But in this one, she does mention that they know about it, and they're just not interested in in the in the in the cause or whatever. Yeah. Which which I'm with you. 
if the uncle found out about this and he saw it as a money-making opportunity, he would have gutted that ship uh, the minute he found out about it. Or at least the brothers would, too, because they yeah. seem just as bad as he is. Yep. So I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I'm also wondering why everybody has uh, red blood. Did the, have they gone away from the purple blood altogether now? I thought it was only Star Trek VI. Was it? Well, was I, that, I've, I, I've seen purple blood in other things for Klingons. Really? I have. Uh, actually, it's some IDW comics. I mean, isn't some of the... Uh, they had Klingon-specific comics. They've had multiple Klingon-specific comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe more in the next-gen time frame or different time periods. Didn't, we just did one not that long ago uh, that right. was uh, Blood Will Tell or something. And I didn't they have uh, purple yeah, blood? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking they did, yeah. So anyway, it's just up to the, whoever's making the book. <laughs> and I guess if, if Klingons can look different in every other series, then uh, then their blood color can be different. Yeah, if there's Actually, that many different species, then uh, then then their their blood color might be different. That's an interesting I, I point. Always, did I, they? That always sorry, it always bothered me in Star Trek Six that it was so like you know the color was like neon pink. It was just Pepto-Bismol, baby. Yeah, <laughs> it was an ad, subliminal ad. There you go. Got to get that PG-13. Can't get a rated R Star Trek. Right. It, although it, I'm sure we will eventually. We have now. Well, I mean, uh, Discovery's TVMA, so it might as well be rated R. Right. So we're already there. Oh, yeah, yeah and then with Tarantino wanting to do a, a, a Star Trek. Uh, oh, my god. That, that might be our you – know, You know, from an adult standpoint, I love that idea. Bring Tarantino on. But from the points you were making earlier about making Discovery a lot less kid-friendly um, right. and maybe going too far, that could happen with a uh, Tarantino movie. Or who knows? Um, may- maybe he's a, a, a good enough Star Trek fan that maybe he wouldn't put in some of his uh, signature uh, R-rated stuff. Gratuitous, yeah. yeah violence. Exactly. Although yeah. I love the movies, most all of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, they're so over the top. That, yeah, you know. but obviously aimed at an adult audience. Right, right, right. Um, did anybody else, did it, in the scenes with the, the trials in the, the lava and the being out in the elements, I didn't like the fact that the Klingons, which I now are so heavily, like, you know, changed in their head, et cetera, their bodies looked completely human. Right. You know what I mean? There was no, like, ridges that went all the way down the back, and they just looked like, you know reasonably fit guys with Klingon heads. And I right. just, what no. was that? It, it really reminded me of like alienation where they looked completely human from, mm. from the neck from up the, or neck the down, neck, the, the neck down. Yeah. Right. That the only thing was their, their melon heads. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Cause I mean, even Worf, it showed him without his, uh, without his shirt on and stuff. And he had a very rigid spine and things yep. like that with, with the ridges that went all the way down. Um, so yeah, no, I was with you too. All these shots of them naked were like, uh, that doesn't quite look right. I, and it almost seemed just, this is a separate thought, but it almost seemed like they were working hard for the creative angles and, you know, to, to make sure that we never actually saw their full frontal, which I appreciated. I didn't need to see, you know, Klingon junk, but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, um, it did, after a while it was like, oh yeah, that's clearly what you're trying to do there. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, they're Freedom showing everything about. Right. Now, um, I mean, this is, I guess, a little spoiler, but in in the later episodes of Star Trek Discovery, we do see, um, what's her name? Lalal, Laral, whatever her name is. 
L- 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 uh, Jaula. No, no, that's the sister. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh. Yeah, what's her name again? Dang it. Um, Lorel. We do Lorel. see Lorel naked. Uh, that that was very brief. And, brief flash. But I mean, but and I didn't, you know, I didn't freeze frame it or anything. But I thought uh, that she didn't quite look okay. human from the neck down. Um, so I, when I'm reading this, I'm trying to remember what she looked like from the neck down. <laughs> I know that sounds perverted, but I, I was thinking in those scenes, I, I, did I, have some I thought the spine thing, her, her not look quite human. Whereas in this comic, they look like just regular dudes, uh, with, with bumpy heads. I agree with you. <laughs> I think her, I think she had like a war spine thing going or war like right. spine, you know, jutting out, uh, you know, spinal uh, bones or something that pushed, you know, didn't push over the skin, but, you know, pushed up. Right. And I'm thinking her front, she had something going on with the, the her her chest too, but... Uh, wow. I don't remember. You <laughs> I did freeze some, frame, didn't you? I, oh, I didn't. Because I don't but remember I was, I was any of those scenes being... With her collarbone or something that was kind of like not quite human, which I thought was kind of cool that, you know, they would have a different skeletal structure underneath. Yeah. Well, the skull, especially the almost alien-like back end of the right. skull, um, they got things that are very not human, which really makes me question how they could have turned... Uh... I, I, well, let's wait for that later. Okay. Just in case someone hasn't watched it. Well, we've already said a lot of things, but okay, fine, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. But I'm with you. Um, uh, in regards to this issue again, I did think it was funny that uh, Takuvma gets his wedding invitation in a very conventional 20th century Earth way. You know, here's an envelope with a <laughs> with a, a a red seal on it inviting you <laughs> to your 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 sister's wedding. <laughs> oh, it's a save the date no amount. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so they couldn't use subspace. Okay. Right. You know, they they still paper and and with a little hearts on it and stuff. <laughs> Any all thought that? Well, you know, it, it, I, I I actually did notice that too. Um, the thing about what I want to actually discuss for a minute is the, the sort of rituals and the theology around Kalis. Um because first of all, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool the the sitting in the on the stones inside the lava pit, you know, to mm-hmm. endure um, and and prove your true worth. I, I actually could see some sort of sense of spiritual cleansing there in a Klingon way. I liked it, but I don't know where. Whenever they talk about Kalis, I picture you know the actor and the guy from Next Generation. Right. He's just like you know, kind of like you know the, the Klingon Jesus, and you know he's telling parables and. This whole idea that he's going to come back as a Klingon person, um, I don't know. It just it, it didn't feel right. It, it, it felt like even this sort of sect of Kalicism, um was kind of whacked from the beginning. And maybe they're doing that on purpose. I don't know. It just uh, Really? I thought the exact opposite. I, I was thinking that they actually were, were following what little bits we got in those two episodes – um, and also, there was a, a Michael Jan Friedman book called Kalis that that uh, 
that dealt with you know kind of the aftermath of having this cloned cloned uh Kalis versus what they thought his return was going to be yeah so a lot of this you know i don't remember that that book or those episodes verbatim but none of this book really contradicted what what i do remember and in fact i thought it kind of enforced it i was like wow they're really they're making an effort to uh, make this fit in with what little we we know from Next Generation. I, maybe I'm misremembering, but uh, but no, I thought this was good because the thing in that episode was that they all believed Kalis was going to come back, but there was yeah, but questions but it, on how he would exactly, and, and uh, none of them could agree on what that meant, whether it was going to exactly. be a physical physical return or uh, um, something else, and and I just kind of was like, oh, so they. There was a theory that uh, he could just inhabit another warrior. Um, okay, okay, I, I will, I will listen to that argument because you're right. When you think about, you know, religion in general, there's always like a million interpretations exactly. and arguments over subtleties. Exactly. And, you know, sprinkling or immersion, sprinkling or immersion. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's all. So, so that does kind of work. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's and, I, and even the Bible. Um, there are some things that are clearly not meant literally, but Yet other people think, yeah, that is literal. It's like, it's all interpretation. Right. What do you mean, Ken? It is all <laughs> literal. It, don't you know that when, when the Bible says that, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God, that, that, <laughs> that means that Mary had a little lamb. Oh! Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> but but in, into your, your point, Ken, I, 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 that's why I like this issue again, is because even these two scholars... Right, they they've devoted their whole life to training these these accolades or whatever, and then they themselves don't necessarily agree on what it means. Right, so he's like, I think you might actually be the re-embodiment of Kalis, and the other guy's like, well, I don't, you know, we haven't seen all the signs yet, so I don't agree with you. I liked how even these two guys weren't necessarily agreeing with each other, but they weren't they weren't fighting either. They no. were like, I don't agree with you. We'll wait for more signs. Uh, but we definitely think that you are getting some sort of divinely inspiration. Inspired, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I I'm, like I'm going to think lot. about that, Donovan. I'm going to think about it because I think you've got a good, you got, you made some good points there. Uh, For a change. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's causing me to think. That's good. And, and then I really liked the whole fire and and um, the fire thing because one of the one of the next generation. Things they talked about Kalis was how he cut off his ponytail and threw it into the lava, or no, dunked his hand into the lava with his ponytail, and then he pulled out the first bat lift. So when I saw this guy, like, you know, they're doing some sort of lava thing uh, to to prove their worth or whatever, I was like, yeah, this would be, this kind of makes sense because Kalis actually shoved his hand into the lava, and, and, you know, just because he was who he was, he was able to, uh, withstand it so I, I i really i really like this this issue was my favorite out of the two just because uh it, it it to me didn't contradict what i think of when i think of uh who they think kalis was so mm. that, that was that's at least my my point okay i stand corrected well not corrected <laughs> there's no correction it's just that that's my belief that's my that's my feelings <clears throat> Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hadn't thought of some of the, the nuances that you are bringing up about, you know, sort of the way that different factions and religions can interpret things completely differently or, or even subtly differently. And um, and I had forgotten that thing about sticking his hand in the lava. You're right. Right. 
I don't know if I even knew that, <laughs> but <laughs> good memory. Good memory there, Donovan. Yeah. So um, well, something I just wanted to bring up, maybe we're getting towards uh, moving on, but one thing I wanted to bring up is why exactly did Takuvma see in Vak his successor or his right-hand man or whatever? Um, because he did see that, uh, and it was mentioned at, in the first issue. So why? I'm just kind of wondering. Um, I don't think we're – I think we're about to get there in the story because um, as of right now, Takuvma is still part of a house. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that the, in that first episode, he picks Vok, and, and all of his followers are houseless um, – you know, uh, mm-hmm. cast offs or whatever. So I'm, I'm waiting for that to kind of get there in these flashbacks is, uh, he's, he's just now lost his house. His sister has betrayed him and I'm waiting for him to, to, to realize that, you know, it's the outcasts that are going to unite the people and not the, uh, not the, not the, the leaders yeah. that uh, are very, you know, st- structured and, and self-centered on, on their beliefs. So. Sure. But remember, uh, Vok is son of none. Exactly. Where at least Takuvma knows his, his who his father was. But well, he's about to be son of none because he's about to lose his whole house, right? No, this doesn't make this doesn't make him. He doesn't lose his father just because he just the house gets lost. I, I really mm-hmm. don't think that's what that means. I I think that once your house loses or once you get disowned from your house, then then you are you don't have a father anymore. I think you have to change okay. your title. Well, that's right? a theory. That's I, a theory. I assumed, in, but... I assumed when watching the show that Son of None meant that he did not know his origin. Uh, I thought he was just outcast from his house, that he had no house anymore. Th- because Klingons would, would I think he's an orphan. their house. But, uh, but well, who knows? We don't know. Not only an orphan, but he doesn't even know who his parents are. Uh, many orphans don't know who their parents are, but whatever. I don't know that for sure. I, I don't know, but... He nah, says I son of none. So. Uh, well, that or else he thinks there. he was uh, an immaculate conception. That could be too. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I, I have a few theories, though. I mean, yeah, so there's a theory. That's a cool theory. So they're All both right. kind of like uh, they don't feel like they, ha- they don't have houses anymore. Okay, so there's something. Um, the, the guy who taught Takuvma to fight, who was like the right hand person of the sister. Um, who kind of had a thing with a sister, I think. Kel or whatever? Was that his name, Kel? Okay, there yeah, you go. Yeah, something like that. So he was uh, like an albino kind of guy, too. Um, he was all, like, uh, you know, white-skinned, uh, where most of the Klingons aren't. Um, so there's one thing I, I spotted. It's like, oh, you kind of saw Kel in him, maybe? And then the mm. whole idea of him putting his uh, hand over the flame... And just staying there a while, letting his hand burn, he could take the heat. Maybe that was a little bit like what Takuma went through in the monastery. Right. I don't know. Um, so those are the two things I spotted. But yeah, as we go in through the issue, we'll probably see more things that uh, supported Takuma's uh, seeing greatness in Volk. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't put the fire and the and the lava thing. I didn't connect those dots. But yeah, that yeah. makes a good point. Yeah, could be multiple things. But I also kind of assume that you know 
he didn't meet Bach for the first time in that scene, right? So he he had he's been training all of them, right? They're all his followers, so Vok didn't just show up that day. Mm-hmm. So okay. I don't think that that flame thing was necessarily <clears throat> the first time he saw potential in that young young guy. Yeah, but didn't that seem to be like the events that kind of pushed him over? That and his words were right. the things that you know put him past the line. Yeah, I think that was line. just more for our benefit, being exposed to this whole this whole thing for the first okay. time. Okay. But yeah, uh, who knows? Cool. <laughs> but you're right. Kel definitely is uh, lighter skinned, like Bach is. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm just wondering what's going to happen in the next issue. I mean, what will Takuma do? Will he kneel to Delore, or will <laughs> he take them all out like Kwai Chang Kane, you know, in a lotus position? Well, your reaction is exactly what you know, shows the sign of a successful story. If you're dying to hear more. Oh yeah. Oh, this is a great cliffhanger. Yeah, I'll be honest. When they when they first announced this book and that it was all going to be uh, a backstory to the Klingons, because there has been so many Klingon miniseries and stuff, I, I was a little turned off. I was like, I want to know about Lorca and and you know Burnham and all that. That that's that's what I was wanting out of a Star Trek comic book. Um, but now that I'm reading these, I'm like, man, these are these are really good. Uh, I, I'm liking them a lot more than I thought I would, and, and I'm with you, Ken. I can't wait for the next the next issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. I, you know, it's it it's a um. It it does it, when you watch the first episode of Discovery, you, there is, you can tell there is a lot of stuff there that you don't know, and I think this was a good choice to start with, um, because it is it is sort of giving us motivation, basically. Mm-hmm. You know. Cool. I wondered why why were they following this guy and why was there so much reverence for this guy? Doesn't he say in the first episode, "I"? This, doesn't he say, "I am Kalis returned"? He believes it at that point, isn't that? Oh, he? really? I'll have to rewatch that. I think he does. He could have said that. He could have said that. Now, did he say that because he really believes it, or did he say it because he knows that's a path? to unite the houses, which is an objective of his, to make, you know, uh, uh, the Klingons great again. Right. right, right. Is he actually kind of delusional, or does he believe it, or is it actually really the case, or is he using it for polit- it's political games, you know? Right, right. I, I felt that he was sincere, but, uh, but I you know, not knowing all what this backstory is going to give you, I don't know, but... Uh, but when I was watching that, I really felt that all these people were sincere in in their beliefs and not doing it just because this is their their way to to unite people or the way to gain power or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I, and and in the whole like being <clears throat> true to the monastery and going and being the best one through the tests and you know being so devout and wanting to go back at the end, you, you think he does really believe all this? It really, yeah, and so yeah, therefore, it, he, yeah. You might believe that he is Kalis returned. Yeah. Now, you can still want to unite your people and have good intentions um, without necessarily uh, believing you're truly Kalis. Well, yeah, that's true. Or just going for power. You know, look at history. I mean, people know that if there is a belief in a culture that you play with it. I mean, didn't, didn't Hitler 
like was one of his plans to take the Ravens from the Tower of London and get rid of them because everybody would believe that was the fall of England. He didn't, probably didn't really believe that that was going to have power, but he did that because it would cripple the people psychologically. <laughs> so yeah, you, you take what the people believe and you play to it. Cool. I did not know that about Hitler yeah. and England. Interesting. <laughs> Luckily, he never did it. So <laughs> yes, yes, never got that far. So is it season one discussion time? Yeah, so we'll go ahead and change gears. We're uh, now going to fully spoil anything, if we haven't already spoiled it. <laughs> We're going to take great relish in spoiling things. So you'd better stop listening, pal, if you <laughs> guys have not seen the entire season. Right. So may I, may I say the first thing? It's not a spoiler, but it, it was my biggest – one of my biggest nitpicks about the, the new series was um, – you know, not only the face design and stuff of the Klingons being so radically different was the teeth, <laughs> and, and and not necessarily the look of the teeth because I thought they actually looked kind of cool. It was that the poor actors, I don't think, knew what to do with them, and so so much of their dialogue felt like they're just trying to keep the teeth from falling out of their head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like talking to somebody who has dentures but don't have the sealant to keep the dentures in and they're like I'm just trying to keep my teeth in my face Uh, that was my number one anytime they started talking I was like oh quit talking because you're ruining it Uh, well not only that um, especially some of the Klingons like especially the actor that uh, was Shazad Latif when he was doing Valk he put a lot of emotion and spit into it so I can completely see the teeth popping out on a few uh, takes that they did that they had to cut out. Right. I, I just felt they didn't look. Yeah, it looked they were they were in front of the actor's mouth, and it looked like that they weren't a part of his speech pattern. So I, I had the same thing with the teeth. I didn't think they were going to fall out, but I was like, <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the original Planet of the Apes in a way, which at the time was incredibly revolutionary the way they did that. But you know, you'd see the mouth moving, but it, yeah. Didn't really work with you know um, what they what, what the words that were coming out. Right. Well, as far as like comparing it to another um, franchise that had a similar issue, which was um, Enemy Mine with Lewis Gossip Jr. wearing those mm-hmm. those those horrible buck teeth things. Yeah. Which again looked fantastic. I love that movie. I love that creature design. But his speech also was. Yeah. I'm talking through these huge gigantic teeth that I can't really enunciate. Uh, uh, it, it, yeah, and as I recall, and, the language was rather Klingon-like. There was a yeah, lot of, really of hard sounds and a lot of right. spitting and <laughs> and kind of Klingon-y, now that you mention it. The new Klingon, it, it, but it doesn't sound like the next generation Klingon to me. Uh, to me, the, the you know, Worf and all of them, uh, they were able to enunciate differently than, than these guys did with the, the extreme teeth. And, uh, but they're putting more me, emotion into it, I think. To me, this uh, Discovery uh, Klingon sounds just like uh, the, the, the Drac language from Enemy Mind. I, I, yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because that, that's what I kept thinking the whole time I'm watching the show. Yeah. I'm assuming huh. you mean that, that – I, I, I'm assuming the language in Discovery was the Klingon language which has been established and, oh, yeah. and invented. But it's, it's how they say it, though. Right. Yeah. It, right. It's – 
and, and, and I, I chalked it up to because of the teeth and not necessarily because they want to change the language. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, I, I, it's, I, it's probably a combination of the teeth and the fact that for whatever reason, somebody made the decision that, especially Valk, when he talks, he talks with conviction and emotion and a lot of energy. And uh, right. maybe that's part right. of it, too. Um, let's take a step back for a minute. Maybe again, you covered this the last time you talked about discovery, but I want to say I have really had to come to a place of enjoying this series for what it is. Um, and at the same time, I hold all these sort of like dislikes for its clear disregard of, um, (laughs) of canon. canon. Yeah. Tradition. What has gone before. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that really delighted and shocked me, and I'm dying to see what they do with it, um, and again, spoilers, was the last shot of the series when the Enterprise shows up, and we know Christopher Pike mm-hmm. is on that. Are we going to see the bridge of of the Enterprise, you know, 10 years of before in those uniforms? But how are they going to Well, I'm not sure that? about the uniforms. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, look, I think the clue is in the ship. Take a look at the outside of the Enterprise, it's different from the 1960s one. There's no two ways about it. Um, I don't – does it have nipples? Donovan, did you spot nipples? <laughs> I did not spot Okay. Uh, but you can see the nacelles are different, the, uh, the pylons that connect the nacelles to the secondary hull. I mean there are parts of the ship that are very true to the original ship, but there's other parts that are quite different. And I think it, the whole thing's going to be that way. I mean, I think right. the uniforms are going to be different, and I think the bridge is going to look different, and I don't think it's going to be uh, Christmas lights on the uh, on the helm station. So there's there's been two novels now, discovery novels. The first one uh, was was based on Burnham and, and Giorgio being on the the Shinzu. What? No, not Shinzu. What's the name of the ship? What? Uh, uh, Shinzu. The, the is it Shinzu? Shin- yeah, Sh- Shin- Shinzo? Shinzo, I think. Oh, oh you're, you're doing the pronunciation. Is your pronunciation right? I, I uh, sure, Shinzo. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, it's them, and and uh, you know, so it's set not too far from where we pick up in the in the series, and in it, the two ships, uh, the Shinzo and the Enterprise, have to go on a mission together. Yes, and it's fantastic because. She's talking about in, in Burnham's head about the how you know how the the Enterprise is the the ship of the line and it's so smooth and um, the, uh, the the uniforms are all this this beautiful gold or whatever <laughs> gold color and stuff and, and so the way they're describing it is obviously what we grew up with and yeah. then but you're looking at what they're wearing which is more futuristic looking for us than than what they had back in the 60s yeah. and i really liked that book in, in explaining you know not necessarily maybe satisfactory but at least explaining that there Try was to. two different style differences yeah. uh, of ships and uniforms at that time so i'm curious to see how if they do show pike if they're going to, you know, keep that look that was described in the book, or if they're going to go more of, he's wearing what they're wearing. I I think it's possible that they're not going to be the same uniforms as the Discovery uh, crew, but I also don't think it's going to be the uh, the gold velour. Or maybe it's going to be gold, but it's not going to look the same. I mean, it's going to, yeah, there's going to be differences. I wish it would look like the mo- like the movies, right? So which which looked like the old ones but 
with a with a a new enough twist that it doesn't look hokey like like a like an old gold sweater that that Pike really wore in in that episode. Well, okay, so yeah. which which movie uniform? Uh, the red the ones, ones, the pajamas, the, the, the JJ oh, Abrams the JJ Abrams. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. The Abrams verse. I recently saw a um, me a, you know p- photo someone did on Facebook of the original Jeffrey Hunter in a new Discovery uniform. Huh. And and that is actually cool. really kind of cool. It actually worked. It was, but we'll see if they do that. Well, they're not going to use, you know, Forrest Gumpy CGI. For, right. for but didn't, it sound like, didn't it sound like Jeffrey Hunter on the little, the, the audio that we heard? I don't remember name? hearing it. I don't remember hearing anything. I, I, I thought they just said um, the Enterprise Captain Pike's hailing or something. Oh, and I thought we heard him. I don't um, remember hearing anybody. Right, I, I they just went through the whole thing where the registration number came in slowly and slowly and slowly and then. Then they revealed it was Pike. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see who they get to play Pike. Because I do think we were going to see him. And I, so I hope they'll, they'll you know, have the two ships and crews work together on something. So I think we'll, if that does happen, obviously we'll be seeing uh, Pike. So I kind of look forward to seeing uh, who they're going to get to play him. Because like in, in, Supergirl, we... in Supergirl, they had somebody play uh, Superman. Because they had a Supergirl TV show. You've got to have Superman come on. So I was interested to see who they picked for that. Now I look forward to seeing who they pick for Pike. Brian. But who are they going to pick for Spock? Because <laughs> he's there too. Good idea. He Good point. He certainly is. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, they recast uh, Sarek and nobody batted an eye. That, no. And this guy doesn't look at all like the Sarek from the movie or the old show. So, um, I me. batted several eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I, yeah, think, I, I, I like this new Sarek, though. Yeah, I think he does a good job. He he did yeah. a really good job on Gotham too. Uh, yeah, as uh, Azrael. Right. Yeah, he won me over after a while, but I was I was a little dubious. Yeah. Right. You know. Well, well Mark... it'll be interesting to see. It, I I kind of I kind of worry that they're not going to do anything with the Enterprise. That that was just a little. Easter egg at the end, and then the next series will pick up years later or whatever. But uh, hope I'm oh. wrong. Hmm. Years later, I, I hope I'm wrong because, I, or you know, later, not necessarily that mission, but, uh, right. but maybe they will. Well, I've heard some, I've heard speculation and then some kind of like illusion with an interview that even the the universe that we all have been told and are assuming it is, which is ten years before, in the same universe as you know that we've all been watching could actually be different. It could end up, you know, either in the Abrams timeline or some, some, there could be some other way to explain why everything is different, that that's going to come later and at the end. Right. Yeah, and, and the obvious explanation is it's a parallel dimension. It's close to ours, but it's not the same. And they purposely said, no, this is the original, the original pre-JJ-verse. Uh, uh, so they're saying it's not an alternate dimension. But if it was an alternate dimension that's close to ours, but not ours, that would that would explain a lot. But I mean, w- with so much time travel that goes on in Star Trek, um, I- I'm I like everything to fit, but also I know that it's never going to fit. I mean, Khan never met Chekhov, but yet he remembered him in Star Trek Two. <laughs> uh, you know, that's always going to happen, and. 
you just gotta gotta roll with it. And I always kind of like chalk it up to, well, they do so much time travel that maybe maybe every episode we watch is a slightly different universe than the one before because, you know, who knows what uh, what was going on and you know when they slingshot around the sun every other week, uh, they always making little changes. That's how the way I ju- that's the way I justify uh, the the differences. But how many times are we going to go over this? Chekhov was on. Enterprise. He just hadn't made it to the bridge yet. He was working in engineering. They could have met in the bathroom. And and also, Data's the very first android ever. Don't remember all those other androids in the original (laughs) series. They they weren't androids. Although they looked a million times more human than Data does. But he's the first. So, I mean, there's always (laughs) things in Star Trek that don't add up if you think about it, and I uh, just go with it. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to make the case. But that I always Star- do Star try Trek to. Is con- I'm not going to make the, tr- the case that Star <laughs> Trek is consistent. But you, my friend, Donovan, are one who is always reaching to try and make it work. Yeah, uh, that's what, what I, I was just about, about to say. I, I say I'll accept it, but I will also come up with my own excuses as to how they got there. That's right. So, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm curious to see what they do with uh, the Pike and the Enterprise and everything because uh, I, I I like that ship design. You saw it for two seconds, but it looked cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the the thing that is um, that I started this conversation with was was to say, yeah, I've got all these continuity issues, which I know the whole fandom really kind of does. Um, if I can put them aside. You know, then we can talk about the show itself, which is really good. I mean, it is a good sci-fi show with with you know twists and turns and and unexpected um, happenings. You know, I mean, for me, one of the biggest and saddest things was the uh, the death of the Doctor. Mm. Um, Wilson Crew. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, he was such a good character, and I like that actor. And um, I was really sad to see him go. Glad yeah. that he showed up again in sort of like you know memories and vi- in, you know visions, but um, yeah that 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 and also it was kind of sad because there was finally a, a gay couple on mm-hmm. the Enterprise and it was like no big deal in terms of they weren't like overdoing it. It was actually right. really kind of sweet, and um, it was sad that that's the character that they chose to uh, to kill off. Yeah, but, but you're okay uh, with Commander Landry. Commander Landry, the security, the chief. security, the security chief that gets killed in like the third episode. The, the, um, the Tardigan ripped her up, real good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know that person well enough yet to be really bonded. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. I have no problem with her going. She was kind of a jerk, but still, yeah. But 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 Doctor Culver was better. Yeah, I, that that was that was that was really sad. But one thing that doesn't. But work? that's what it needed. It needed to be really. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what. It needed some sort of emotional response, and so you know he. I loved his character, and because I loved him, but he necessarily wasn't necessarily integral to the story they were telling. So I get why they killed him off no. uh, to give the emotional gut punch to not only the chief engineer but to us, the the viewers. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm with you. That yeah. uh, that was that was. But you know they got the wormhole alien type scenes where he can. The aliens can talk to him through through that that vision of him and stuff. So uh, I thought that was interesting that they went that route. And and, and that, this is a nitpick, but one of the things that bothered me was the way they totally dismissed um, 
you know, Tyler's responsibility and said, oh, yeah, well, you weren't yourself, so, you know, there won't have to be a hearing or any kind of inquiry. <laughs> you can just you know, wear this little watch and, um, <laughs> and everything, you know, we're, in fact, yeah, we're going to give you an Apple watch and, um, and everything is fine. Yeah, that, Saru was that, really forgiving. Very surprising. Right. But, but it, it, that wasn't even his place to do it. There was a murder. <laughs> and, um, and, and I just felt like it was so tossed away that it bugged me. Yeah. Well, and it's not even fitting to his character because he has such a grudge against Burnham for doing what she did. But this guy, I mean, and she did it indirectly. She didn't mean to, but she, you know, ultimately, um, you know, did try to mutiny and all that stuff. Whereas with the best intentions, Tyler, he did kill somebody. He he he, he was a murderer. It was Valk. <sighs> he is Valk. It's still him. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I I didn't like that part. But then again, you he uh, he couldn't just spend the rest of the series in in a cell that. Right. That wouldn't have. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the Klingon woman was in a cell the rest of the time. So <laughs> yeah, they could have just been in, uh, you know, adjacent cells. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I agree that that uh, I didn't, didn't like work. that part. Yeah. Well, speaking of deaths, I'm sorry I got to bring it up. I don't want to, you know, spoil everything too early. But you had mentioned how okay, the doctor died, but he wasn't like an integral character, an important character, but not like like in the top top rankings. Um, Captain Gabriel, Lorca. So yeah, that was a big surprise for me. That was a huge well, surprise to me. But you uh, know, you know that, that he's coming back. Well, okay, I don't know that, but I hope that. You know it. That that well, our Lorca is going to come back from the mirror universe. Absolutely. That he did live all this time. Absolutely. And he's coming back with like one eye because he's gone through so much. <laughs> and a beard. He's like, and a beard. I survived the mirror universe by growing this goatee. <laughs> 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 oh, good point. I blended in. I know. I appreciated that they gave Sarek the goatee. Um, oh yeah, that was awesome. That was that was a nice touch. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just have no doubt that we're going to see Lorca again. I I was I mean when in the in the in the second episode when they uh, killed off Giorgio, it's like I was thinking, oh my gosh, what a waste. I liked her character, but it's like okay, you know, it's. It's kind of like other franchises when they have a big a, a big actor, they bring him in for a little bit of heft, a little bit of weight, you know, a really good actor, and they then they get rid of him early. Um, so, it, like in the Superman movie, uh, who played the father? Oh, Marlon Brando. Well, right. actually, I was thinking of the, yeah. of, of Man of Steel, but whatever. Yeah. Uh -oh. So, uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, that's him. So that's interesting, but so wonderful that Michelle Yeoh came back. Uh, Emperor Giorgio, wonderful. Now we'll be able to see her pop up every once in a while as a kind of villain, but not so much villainous. Well, we'll see. Uh, like in mud. The, in the, like who? Like mud. Like oh, the like new, mud. Uh, mud episodes this right? year. There you go. So she's going to pop up every once in a while in the future. Glad to see it. Uh, but I really miss uh, Captain Lorca. And it'd be great if they brought him back. Uh, I just, I, they better explain it well. Because right. it's kind of a cheat if they keep on bringing people back that died. Um, right. And I'm looking forward to who the new Vulcan captain is. I think it's yeah. That was Vulcan that was captain. interesting that they said that there was going to be a new a new captain they were going to pick up on Vulcan. Yeah. So I assume he's Vulcan. Yeah. I, maybe that's an you assumption. Assume. I mean, other people yeah. can be on Vulcan. Maybe it's but... Spock. 
Uh, no. <laughs> no. Lieutenant Spock or whatever he is now. Right. So um, I agree with you 100%. Um, I know we need to wrap up, but um, one thing that when they were doing the transfer transformation of Vok into Tyler, uh, with that giant cranium that they have, I mean, he obviously had to lose some brain cells because uh, <laughs> there's no way his brain would have fit in a human a human skull. Right. Uh, but uh, but while they were showing all that, I kept yelling at the screen. I was like, they have two of everything. Why? You they're taking out his extra heart. They're taking out his extra lungs because in Next Generation, they say Klingons have redundant uh, organs for everything. So then I was like, well, maybe they have a redundant brain. That, that doesn't make sense. But <laughs> but maybe they took out his, his, his spare his brain. His backup brain? <laughs> well, I could so, use a redundant brain. <laughs> But anyway, so I, 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 I'm yelling at the screen during all those scenes. Um, and then uh, – and I don't know if it was intentional or if it was just some weird coincidence. But they show Kronos and they show a guy peeing on the, the side of the wall, and he has two streams going. And yeah! I was like – I, was like, I totally awesome missed that. I totally because, missed that. Because what? they do say they have two of everything, and I'm like, well, they would have two of that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what episode was that? I gotta go back and watch that. Uh, second, the last one, or the last one. It's when they're on Kronos, uh, you know, going through. Oh, the black right, 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 right. Okay. There's a, they walk by a guy. He's leaning up against the wall. They do a close up of it. You know, they show us like the back of him, and they show him watering the 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 wall. And there's two streams going, and I'm like, oh, that's funny. Okay, I was like, all right, well, they kind of made up for the, the the Klingons used to have two of everything. But I don't know if it was they did that because of the previously mentioned they have redundant organs, or if it was just because we want to do something kind of weird and have him to have two streams going. So I, I, I have to go back and look. I, uh, I'm going to watch that again tonight. All right, <laughs> I got to see that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know their, all, all their <clears throat> all their intentions for that, but that is cool. That's right. great. That's fun. So if it if it was just we wanted to do something weird, it is kind of cool that it it fits in line with the Klingon tattoo of everything. So, uh, it, uh. But, the, but back to your original point, <clears throat> yeah, the whole thing was you know in in, in um, even in the original series, they would always say, oh, we've got to do surgical procedures to make you look like the other race, you know, to go undercover. Right. And it was always like you know put on some ears or shave <laughs> you know, your eyebrows, paint your you know paint your face. But, um, yeah, they really made this look just horrid and, you know, like they were completely breaking him apart and stitching Oh, yeah, they were, yeah. yeah. Which, which is fitting. There was a comic book, a uh, Star Trek comic uh, with um, Klingons where they showed the guy that was in the trouble with Tribbles yeah. on how he went from a bumpy head Klingon to that human-looking Klingon. And it was a horrible ordeal. There, it shows them like with hand grinders on his skull, his exposed skull, and all that stuff. And and all these scenes in in Discovery really reminded me of of those scenes from uh, that. Uh, I yep. think that was the Blood Will Tell uh, mini comic. I think mini you're right. Yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. a really so, good miniseries in the fact that it showed many events from Taws uh, from the Klingon standpoint. So we right. got to see the transformation. Of what the assistants to Ambassador Ferris or whatever, I forgot the guy's name. Isn't isn't he Gidget's dad? Ah, <laughs> the actor. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, from the TV series. 
That's that's all I ever. Every time I watch that show, I'm like, oh, Gidget's dead. Oh, that's right, he's a Klingon. <laughs> and he's kind of, oh, no, he. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, so interesting that they they shaved his skull down so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's but anyway, yeah. That reveal in the show was pretty good. I mean, that was that was the big moment for me when you realized that uh, Tyler was Vach. And, and I and I had heard theories about that on the internet, uh, you know, a long a long time before they revealed it. So it was kind of spoiled for me. But then when and I so first Ken made sure he it, spoiled it for me too. Well, <laughs> I I'm just talking to you about a theory. It was just a theory. I know. I, I know, but okay. So I'll, so I'll you give had you that one. Some of the other ones that you knew for sure because you'd seen it, I don't forgive you for, and never I... will. <laughs> <laughs> oh please, Donovan! Forgive me. Okay, so uh, yeah, th- there's there were some great reveals. Uh, I loved them. Uh, well, and they, the whole... they, they took every opportunity they could, and they did some good ones. Right, Lorca being from the original Ring from the Mirror universe from the beginning that was yeah, that clever. Was that was great. I had no idea about that. Um, I I really like how Mich- how the main character was a female. And then she ends up being such a total uh, – because she's the mutineer, at the opening of the uh, – I guess of the third episode where she's like in, in, in a prison transport ship. Right. I thought, I thought that was cool to show how far down she went. You know, what was that, six months later? Something right. like that. And I liked how you, you – the whole series, you're wondering, why does Lorca – care about Burnham so much that you know he he's he makes a lot of like uh, you know kind of off 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 character moments where he's like you know she needs to come back to life or you don't come back you know he's telling uh, his assistant mm-hmm. the, the chief engineer that or the yep. chief uh, of security that and you're like why does he care so much and then they don't they don't tell you until the end yet yep. it never felt like a big you know it wasn't one of those things that you thought about all that much it was just like well that was a weird thing to say and then it, when they do yeah. finally reveal it you're like oh man that was great i can't believe i didn't see that yeah and the whole eye thing with Lorca, uh, right. where he's being uh, light sensitive yeah it was good it was good all of it was good hmm. yeah um by the end i was completely in I was so skeptical in the beginning of the show, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another th- oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I just want to say uh, another thing that I thought they handled very well. At least I thoroughly enjoyed it. Was um, what Rain Wilson? I think that's the actor uh, who mm-hmm. played Harry Mudd in a couple episodes. Um, I think their characterization of him and how they kind of clicked up the evil meter a bit on him. Um, was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode that featured him. Magic to make the sanest man go mad. So that, and then that the ending, great. his the way they stopped him was so in line with it's very you know, the kind of cheesy ending of a Taz episode yep. that I I really like that one. Yep. So they didn't put him in prison. They didn't put him in chains. <laughs> they didn't shoot him. They <laughs> they had his wife <laughs> and her and, come, yeah come fetch her dad. Him. Yeah, come fetch him. That exactly. was great. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I kind of liked her. You know, the, the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was but okay, a, but but she can, she's obviously where... controlling, which is just the opposite of what somebody like Harry Mudd wants. 
right, 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 right. But they downplayed it. The, yeah. It didn't seem like the same Stella. Oh, that was in the Taz episode? Fenton Rod. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that supposed to be her? Yeah. Yes. Only uh, older. That's, that's her Stella. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, the robot uh, version in Taz, and then the real one. Heart Fenton Mod. <laughs> you lazy, no good. Blah, 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 blah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All yep. right. That was. That was I, I didn't catch that it was supposed to be the same person. I thought it was just another wife that he had out there. No, same name. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But he also killed a lot of people, but uh, got away scot free. So that didn't bother you, Brian? Uh. You know, I don't know why that. No, I don't know why it didn't bother me. <laughs> Trying to think about. It. I mean, I, I don't okay, but okay, hold on. But he killed a lot of people. But because they reset the timeline, they didn't stay dead. They, they had a lot he, of redos. Did, did, did he? Did yeah. he really, really, in the end, did he kill somebody? I thought he did kill some people in that last version because he he ended up on the bridge, and so every version it showed before he did kill people to get up that far. So I'm assuming. I'm assuming there was a body count uh, even in the, in the in the final timeline, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Yeah, you may be right, but I don't remember him killing anybody on that last go-around, but maybe. But still, anyway. his intent. But you brought up a good point when you and I discussed it before. Um, he's killing all these people. He, how many times did he kill Lorca in very delicious different ways? And and it's like, oh, my God, Harry – Harry Mudd was was a cad, and he and he tried to maroon the entire uh, uh, the entire crew on that planet with the robots, but he never killed anybody in in the few times he came on in Taws. But this right. guy is like killing people with gay abandon. But right. you, Donovan, brought up the fact that well, he knows he's going to re- redo things, so they're not really dead. So why not kill them? So uh, you're right about that. I, I thought he was. The ultimate villain, Harry Mudd, because of all the killing he was doing, but he knew he was going to get reset, so maybe not so much. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I had the same thought that Harry Mudd. I thought the, that the actor Rain did did a, a really good job at, at capturing him, but then they then they took it to him to being evil, and he never was evil. He was just, you know, he was a criminal. And, right. Uh, but. Yeah, he wasn't like the black-hatted villain. You know? But, I mean, he's also pretty bitter because of the whole POW thing. So maybe maybe the, by the oh, time Lorca. maybe by the time he gets to uh, Kirk, uh, his wife has mellowed him out a little bit more again. <laughs> he's more back to his devious ways. Right. Hmm. Could, I, could I mention a little bit of the thing? Of, uh, I'll be as fast as I can about ships and equipment. Sure. <laughs> okay. Hand phasers, a home run. Love the hand phasers. It was a wonderful uh, mashup of the original uh, laser phasers in the uh, Pike uh, pilot mm-hmm. and uh, what they used in, in Taws. I, I think it was great. Loved it. Um, and Discovery herself. Oh, any, do you guys want to say anything about the hand phasers? No. Okay. And you covered it. Okay. Uh, the other things, the, the, the communicators and, and – then tricorders, meh, whatever. But the phaser was cool. Um, how about the Discovery? Discovery is weird looking, but still cool. I, I had to get used and, and, to it. And it fits with the with the look of the the fleet. I, Does I like it? it? Does it fit with the look of the fleet? Well, it's got the saucer in the. Well, nacelles. yeah, it's got the saucer in the cells. But 
I mean, and I, I, so I've got the Eagle Moss recently, the Eagle Moss model of it. So I've been looking at this thing, like I can look at it from any angle I want. And I sent Donovan a, a, a photo of it. And when you really look at it from any angle you want, it's a weird looking ship. It's very long and very spindly. Um, it really is kind of like the shape of the, the, the swoosh, the Star Trek swoosh badge, whatever. And it's just weird looking. Hmm. But I like it. When, when we first saw it in the teaser, which it obviously changed, I thought that they were working to make it look like some of the original concept drawings from the motion picture. Uh, Star Trek uh, the motion picture, yeah. Yeah, there were some concept drawings done of what the ship, some yep. of the ships might look like. Um, and I don't know if there was any truth to that or not. Well, but, uh, maybe oh, absolute I, truth. Yeah, it, it, the secondary hull is totally straight out of the Ralph McQuarrie. I think he was right. the, the, yep. the, the artist. Uh, the secondary hull is almost directly out of the, out of Macquarie's drawings. Well, I, I really liked the ship. I really thought it was good, and I um, I did like the attempt to make it kind of look like the fleet. Uh, every time it jumped into the, the hyperdrive, and you know, I thought this technology is way too much, too advanced. But I had that problem through the whole thing, the holograms, you know, when they would do communications. And, right. Um, so, again, that, that just ties into the, this feels like it was set way too early. Um, so I felt that way about the ship, too. It was cool, but it looked out of place in the, in the timeline that it was in. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and every time it jumped, when they did the little hula hoop thing, mm-hmm. I kept, you know, with, the, with one of the, the with saucer one of the section, the saucer section spinning. Right. I mean, it looked cool, but if you think about it, there's people on that part. So, do they suddenly like start getting like pushed to the side, like a like a carnival ride? Uh, no, it's inertial, inertial dampeners. dampeners. We've seen people get jostled a little bit. I, I know that's why. Yeah, that's why the whole thing in in Taws, where they like all the actors move from side to side and they just tilt the camera, is ridiculous. Because if they really had inertial dampeners, they wouldn't feel a thing. But whatever. Right. But anyways, uh, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Discovery look, the the ship, uh, the Shinzo or whatever, however you pronounce it. I liked that that style, uh, you know, almost a Reliant kind of yep. look to it. Almost, it's it's um, channeling the Reliant and the Akira class, uh, right? If, uh, from uh, First Contact, and and actually, it's a little bit like Titan too, also. Right. So I like that one. Uh, and and I like Discovery because it looks like those old paintings, but those old paintings kind of should have stayed where they were, um, that they were just kind of concept. I never thought they looked all that good. Yeah. So that's my two cents. All right. So you ready to wrap it up? We've been here for a couple hours now. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, Have to do on. So well, we'll, we'll, need, we'll need to do the other issues as they come out because I yeah. really like this miniseries. And, and we will. Uh, I like I like talking about uh, Discovery. There you go. Go ahead. I was going to say thank you guys for inviting me. It was fun. Our pleasure, hey, Anytime. Man. You just name the day and, you, and you're on. All right. And that goes for anybody listening. If you want to if you want to join us, <laughs> just let us know. Drop us a line. Thanks, ST Donovan. I'm feeling really special right now. Really special. <laughs> well, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, interestingly enough, because we have some temporal things going on. We're jumping back and forth between time a little bit. So this is episode 260. 261, which is the next one, we'll be going over IDW's Klingon Blood Will Tell. So you guys are going to get a heaping helping of Klingon-y stuff for the next uh, several episodes. 
Interesting. So we were talking about that in this episode, as it was in the past, yet it's really our future. Exactly. Well, we can do a little time travel thing going here. That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Brian, for joining. We always love having you on. It's fun. And it's fun. Uh, thank you. Again, for just tell us when you want to come back, and and uh, we'll hook you up. I will be there. Yeah, and thank right. you, our legion of listeners, because you are legion. There must be. Billions of people out there listening. And thank you, too, for joining us. And there are people listening, because I get comments every once in a while, like, hey, uh, no episode this month? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you noticed? Somebody noticed? <coughs> thank you to everybody out there that are listening oh, and notice when we take these uh, unscheduled breaks. We are grateful to both of you. Right. <sighs> okay. Our All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Ken. And thank you, the listeners. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.